This is part two on our mini series on how to build a marketing team from scratch. On today's episode, we're gonna give you a behind the scenes look on our hiring process. That means the good, the bad, and the ugly. DemandGenU is officially in session. Let's do it. So this is a little bit crazy, but we actually still don't have a full-time people person. So, you know, we've got help from a contractor, um, but really we've been managing this hiring process on our own. And that's on top of, you know, everything else that we've been trying to do, you know, a three person marketing team trying to grow to seven in the span of like a month or two um, is challenging. And, you know, we're kind of about to do that again. So we're going to add four more people in the next six months. Um, we've gone, we have a lot of experience of this now. <laughs> so, and we've gone through a lot. And so we have a lot to share. Uh, we know kind of, you know, what worked well for us, what didn't, uh, and what we're changing maybe, you know, coming into this next round of, of hiring. So yeah, that's, uh, that's the stage. So let's, uh, if, let's, if let's it sounds into crazy, it. it's because it is, but, uh, <laughs> this should be a good one. <laughs> yeah. Like I honestly, I, you know, my background, the big companies, you have recruiters and everybody in HR and literally everything is really well organized for you. And so coming into this with us, uh, last year, I had no idea what it, you know, what it would be like. Um, and it was wholly different than what I had thought. Um, but you know, in a lot of ways, good. And in some ways just more challenging. So we'll talk through it. So maybe we can help some folks, uh, through this process. If you're going through it now, or maybe avoid some of the stuff that we didn't avoid. Let's do it. So there's a couple of areas that we want to talk through and it's all about the hiring process. So we're going to talk through some of our, I'd say secrets, or, uh, I guess a better way of saying it is lessons learned. I think, uh, how we vet candidates for the specific roles that we're hiring, what our actual interview process looks like. And then, you know, it's a two way street. So how do you make sure that both sides, uh, feel good about finding the right fit? So I think the first thing, and this is uh, a piece of advice, but it's because we learned the hard way. It's think about the roles that you need way before you actually need to hire for them. So let's unpack that a little bit. How right. do you think, uh, we came to that learning Jason? <laughs> yeah. So you don't, really, you don't really quite understand how long it's going to take to hire somebody. Um, or you, you kind of understand it, but you ignore it sometimes, you know? And so, um, so let's say in our situation, for example, um, I didn't have four hires approved at the same time. I had a couple staggered and this is the funny thing. I had them in the budget and then one day I opened the budget and I was like, oh shit, there's two people we were supposed to hire that I'm not on top of yet. And it was like August and it was September was the first month that we had the budget, you know, set aside for them. And I was like, well, damn, that's bad on me because we need people. And here I am, like, I put it in the budget and then I didn't go back and say, oh, hey, can I hire these and let's get going. So when you start late like that and you really want somebody, then, and in this market right now, um, it's going to take time. And so if you can think about the roles you need well in advance and then really start to, and we'll probably talk about this, you know, start your hiring process then, um, that's really, I think, you know, that's what's, in, that's, what's going to get you 
ahead of this and so and not feel like you're rushing or you have to make a quick decision. I think that's one of the worst things that could happen is if you actually like try and optimize to hiring time. I think it's similar to just marketing in a lot of ways, because if you think about when we had these roles approved and when we say these roles for everybody listening, we're talking about the four positions that we got approval for posted the job positions on the same day. And then, uh, ironically enough, filled all of them in the same calendar month. So it's very hard to have good talent come to you when you are a series A company with very little, but you know, growing brand awareness and no recruiters. So if you're relying on candidates to find you, which I don't want to say that we relied on them, but I think we were hoping that we were going to have, you know, very good candidates come to us. That was just a mistake that we made because similar to marketing, you can't rely on inbound and inbound alone <laughs> to get you the right candidates. Yeah, especially when your awareness is low, which is interesting. But I think, you know, one of the things I learned through this process is we were actually more attractive at that point, which is interesting. But if you're relying on the the inbound, like you said, it's it's limiting, right? Because it's basically people who are in market for a job right now, usually. You know what I mean? I don't think often somebody really good really well positioned in their current role and happy would just see us post like, Hey, everybody, we're hiring for four roles. And they'd be like, yes, you know what I mean? Like, let me in there. Let me knock on the door because they're already happy. Right. And they're like, Oh, you know, and they're doing well. And, and those are the people that you want. Right. And so those are not usually the people that are applying because they're, they're happy. They're not looking. So they don't, oftentimes they don't even know you have a role open. And, just so everyone knows, we went from a team of two to seven in about, what, five-ish months. And for the five hires that we made, four out of the five were outbound uh, candidates who weren't actually looking. And I think we love the team that we have right now. So the, the person who was actively looking is uh, still an awesome addition to the team. But I think it goes to show that the majority of the candidates that we filled, we had to go find ourselves. So. Why does that matter? <clears throat> like B2B SaaS, it's a long sales cycle. We were talking to people mm -hmm. for months. They've got pretty good gigs. They're comfortable. They like what they're doing. They weren't looking. Similar to how you'd sell software, like you have to sell a lot to get somebody to move when they weren't ever looking to move in the first place. And for you know, Justin Simon, our, our senior content marketing manager, he had been in his company for a while. So when I randomly sent him a LinkedIn DM out of the blue, like he didn't have to respond, but it took a long time to be able to get him to, you know, see why this was so, uh, you know, attractive of a position, you know, we could sell him right away, but he had to weigh a lot of things. And, you know, usually candidates who you are outbounding to, they're going through the same thought process. Yeah. And through that, it's a, <clears throat> Through outbounding, it's you're building a relationship. You know, I think more so than like an inbound applicant. That's more transactional. It feels like, you know what I mean. And so, like, if you're already building that relationship, and that's the people we're looking for. You know what I mean? Like, we're looking for somebody who really wants to be in it. You know what I mean? It's like passionate about what they do, good at what they do, and like really want to blow that discipline. You know, like do something interesting and, and new with that discipline. And so um, 
having that time, you know, through the outbound process, you have that time to build that relationship and you, you're able to see things that you just can't see, I think, in more of a transactional like applicant process. Um, because you're, I think anyway, I think you're having conversations that aren't interview related. You know, you're actually like brainstorming on things. You're like, oh, we could do this and we could do this. So you're, you're already getting that like, almost like what it would be like, a little bit of like what it would be like to work with this person. And I think they're also a little disarmed too because they're coming to that first conversation. It's like, oh, let's just get to know each other and talk about, talk shop, you know? And, uh, and they're not, then we pitch slap them. <laughs> well, like a, a perfect example is something that we're going through right now and without giving too many of the specifics, there was a role that I think we may end up hiring for very soon here, maybe not. And uh, it is not posted anywhere. There's no job description. And what I did was, and I, I think I did this without telling you, Jason, I just reached out to that person and I wanted to, to have an intro call with them. I laid all the cards on the table and said, you know, this role does not exist. So you're not going to find it anywhere. You can help me shape this role if you're interested in it. And then you just get like a good, honest conversation where people to your point are themselves. They're not this buttoned up version that has all the answers prepared in an interview style format, because you know, there's no real script that we're talking through in those combos. Yeah. And let's take a minute to talk about why these people actually accept these requests from us now as well. And this gets into the importance of your brand. You know what I mean? And so like when we hire, even when we hired Justin, I think we were like, people were noticing it. So I think Justin probably like was like, oh yeah, I kind of see their stuff. But you for sure, you know, you, you were a customer though. So you kind of saw you know, a little bit of the inner workings, which made sense. But I remember like when I was hiring for your role, like metadata, huh? What, what, what do you want me to do? You know, it was like, um, and it was really hard, but like in the second round, um, I was honestly like, and I remember telling you about this. I, I was like, sometimes I would feel, I'd actually feel awkward because people would get on the calls like, I can't believe I'm talking to Jason. I'm like, what do you mean? You know what I mean? Like, well, you're all LinkedIn. All, you know what I mean? I see you on LinkedIn. I feel like I know you. And it actually felt a little, for me, it was like a little uncomfortable. I was like, oh yeah, I know. It's all good. Um, but that I think I can't under overstate i can't overstate how helpful that is in us getting really high quality candidates now um and i wouldn't have really i mean it makes sense right it just makes a lot of sense but i wouldn't have been thinking of it that way of or of like all the great marketing work that we've been doing would actually have such an impact and make our hiring i mean it's still hard but make it easier for us to find like really solid candidates and those candidates being excited you know like really excited yeah, I think what's unique, though, is how you and I both go at posting on LinkedIn. Like, we are the same exact people uh, that we are in real life in a work setting as we are on LinkedIn. I don't truly believe that everyone <laughs> functions in that same way. I think a lot of people are, are yeah. not themselves on LinkedIn, which for us, it works out better because, to your point, then people already have an understanding of who we are, what we're like, the fact that we don't take ourselves too serious. And that goes a long way because there's not as much feeling out that needs to be done because they, they, they know us already uh, uh, a little bit. Yeah, no, that's true. Actually, I've had several people say like, oh, you're, you're just the same. Yeah. You know what I mean? like, <laughs> this is like, oh yeah, this is like, 
I'm getting the exact same Jason that I, you know, I thought you would be like, you know, from your posts and stuff like that. So I think that's good, you know, because then we're like, good, we're being authentic to ourselves and, um, and people are noticing it. And I think that also draws people in because um, they want to people want to work for people that are transparent, authentic, you know, and so I think that that helps us too, gets us a leg up before we even talk to them the first time. So you mentioned uh, outbounding and how we've gone about doing this. And I think it's a little easier now uh, because we've got you know a brand that we're building. It's becoming a little bit more recognizable that people have seen it. They know we're up to something. Maybe they don't know exactly what metadata does, but we'll change that soon. But also we have so much more social proof to use. And I, you know this, I'm huge on social proof. So the fact that we can mention some of the big, you know, B2B companies that we're working with, the fact that we can mention we're working with Dave Gerhart in an advisor capacity, some of the other big stuff that we have planned, like the example that I used uh, or that referred to a few minutes ago, I basically had a checklist of, hey, these are all the things that we're doing. This is what's coming. Oh, by the way, Dave Gerhart's working with us. And on the receiving end of that, you know, you're like, well, of course I'd want to at least listen to this. Yeah. Like, why, why would I not? So. Again, it's yep. easier once you start to build some momentum, but it was really hard at first because we just didn't have that notoriety. Yeah, exactly. So um, that's not simple, but I guess the message is focus, you know, focus on your brand and really building a solid brand, especially when you're hiring marketers, but really anybody. It helps actually with engineers, you know, it's helped with sales, it helps in all the roles. Um, but your brand has an effect on the type of people you'll be able to bring in. Yeah. Yep. And then the last thing I'd say is just whenever you're doing this for candidates, think like you're writing a cold marketing email to a decision maker at your target account. Like it feels dumb to say, but also why would you ever lead in, hey, I noticed you're a such and such at this company. I would like to talk to you about a position. Like, no, like get to the, the point right away. Show some social proof ask if it's piqued their interest and then go from there. Like you can use a, almost the same exact template that you would use for outbound marketing emails. Can I use a hundred dollar incentive? No, we're trying to get away from those. And then, then you're bribing people. No, I'm sure you probably could. <laughs> Will you please interview yeah. with me? I'll give you a hundred dollar Amazon <laughs> gift card. Back uh, you should be on payroll at this point. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's get into finding the right candidates for the roles. So again, it's going to depend based on the exact role, but what are some of the, the things that you're looking for, you know, in 2022 that maybe don't come through, uh, in a resume? Um, but don't come through in a resume. Yeah. I mean, so, so this is after we're talking to them then, I guess, if it's not coming through on the resume. So like what I'm looking for, so I'm looking on the resume, I'm looking for basically like at this point, have they done this before at another like high growth startup? I think that right now, especially like when you're in high growth, you really need people that have done it before. But what you can't really check for in resumes or just like even writing or anything is like these these non-tangibles like resiliency, you know what I mean? Um, that's honestly like really the most, the biggest one for me. Like how resilient is this person? I think passion for me as well. Um, I think most, most if not every, person we hired was pretty passionate about the product already or after seeing it was like oh 
Jesus, yes. Like, you know, <laughs> kind of like my first reaction when I first saw it. Um, and so that passion of like, um, are you, you know, this is more than just a job for you. Um, so, and then why is it that way? You know what I mean? So not just that, like you say, it's more than a job, but like really why, you know, and digging into the why, like why, you know, why are you willing to come join a, a high growth startup? You know, you know, most companies out there are trying to grow 10% a year. We're trying to grow 150%. You know, why would you put yourself through that? <laughs> and so, and really kind of understanding that and really, you know, and what makes them tick because, you know, to do this well and keep that stamina you have to have something that you're working towards. You know what I mean? So it's like, I like to understand that why. Um, is it money? Which is, that's okay. Like that's a, that's a primary motivator for most people. Is it, you want to prove something to yourself that you can do this? I love that, you know, kind of a thing too. Like I've never done this before, but man, I'd love to get this done. And I'd love to have this like, be able to say I've done this before. So it's, it's these non-tangible things. Like the experience, I, I just grease through a resume. I'm, I'm like, the resume is like, okay, have you been at a startup before? Have you stayed, you know, at least longer than a year in most of your roles? That's all I'm really looking for. Are you, are you kind of early-ish in your, are you on, not early in your career, but are you on a traject, a pretty fast trajectory? You know what I mean? Kind of where you're at in your career and what kind of where you've reached. That's all I'm really looking for in the resume. Then everything else has to come out through the, you know, through talking. So I'm going to out myself here. I don't think I've ever shared this with you. So I'll let, you know, whoever's listening and you in on a secret. I haven't asked for a single <laughs> resume yet. And, uh, nice. that is because, uh, the positions that I've hired for have all been from outbounding. And I think we'll get into a little bit of the why I felt comfortable not having to ask for a resume, but the biggest thing is, you know, call it personal branding, call it whatever the hell you want. Like we are looking for people who get the new way of marketing in 2022 and yeah. beyond. And I think one of the things that you and I have talked about is how active are people on LinkedIn and not the, you know, uh, post every day for the sake of posting and end every post with thoughts or tagging people like <laughs> influencers in your posts, like not that bullshit, but just people want to buy from companies where they feel like they know the people who are working there. And what we are trying to do yep. is we're trying to have all of our team members, you know, position themselves as experts in what they do so that our future customers can learn from them before they become a metadata customer. And it's something that some people are, are not just interested in, but want to do. Some people are kind of on the fence and some people just aren't interested in doing it at all. And for us, I don't want to say it's a requirement, but it's pretty close to a requirement. Yeah, yeah, we definitely talk to people about that. And at least there's a desire there or at least an understanding of why it's important, you know, and then, you know, like, OK, we'll help you out with that, you know, if you need help. But um, but yeah, I know you're right. One of the early things, you know, that I knew we needed when I first started here is like the brand feels like it's a computer. You know what I mean? Like the, the brand felt like, you know, a computer. Yeah. I was like, we got to humanize this. And that was really, you know, just one of the best ways we could do it is just starting to put our faces with normal, transparent, authentic posts, you know, like, yep, we're real people over here trying to build a very complicated product. We're not a bunch of robots, you know, over here, like behind, you know, like writing robot copy and writing, you know, robot, whatever. Um, and it's what, you know, yeah, you need that. You need that personal touch. All right. So let's get into the next part. This will be a little bit longer, but 
what our interview processes look like. And I say processes because you're hiring for roles, I'm hiring for roles. We kind of have similar processes, we kind of have different processes. So walk me through what your process looks like. And hopefully you know what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Jason is a process this guy. This is but... actually, <laughs> yeah, this is, I mean, this is honestly something I've struggled with my entire career and I've hired so many people. Um, I am not, I probably don't put enough process into it. I use my gut more than anything else. And that is because my gut hasn't let me down yet. Or when I've gone against my gut, it's come around and been like slapped me in the face. And so it's just from experience. I've learned that that is for me the most important factor. Um, but that might not be the best experience for candidates, to be completely honest, because what it really means is every interview I do is fairly unique. I don't have really a set of, I do have some questions that I pretty much ask people, but I ask, I, I usually ask people, just walk me through the last five years of your career. You know what I mean? And then I basically use that to like draw things out, ask other questions, and I kind of form it around there. Um, I have a, a bit of an opinion about what I think I need to touch on before I get into a meeting. And for me, it's at least two to three. I got to have two to three separate times to meet with them, even before I can really form. Well, no, that's not true. I can actually have an opinion immediately after the first meeting, and I can say no at that point pretty easily. But for somebody that is you know, going to make it through, I, I need to have several, several touch points. And honestly, in different contexts, and even setting a different context with the candidate, like, okay, this time we're just going to, we're just going to brainstorm about this topic. And I just kind of want to see what that feels like, you know, with you, um, or no, this one's going to be more of an interview. I'm just going to like, kind of, you know, ask you questions. And, um, and then, uh, at the end of it, you know, we obviously have them interview with other people and I take that feedback, but it really comes down to the gut. Can I, do I feel like I can really work closely with them? You know, do we share, will they be, add to the culture that we have? Uh, will they bring opinions that we don't have? You know what I mean? So trying to diversify the thought. Um, yeah. And then it, you know, and then, and then we make an offer. So you make it sound so simple. So when you bring other people in to the interview process, whether it's marketing team members or people from other parts of metadata, what exactly are you using them for and having them vet? Yeah. Um, I usually try and connect them with somebody that they would be working with or that would have like a job that's tangentially related to the, what they're doing. So like, for example, um, with Maza, our marketing ops manager, we had to meet with Sam, who's Hold our on. sales ops person. Just so we're know. clear, he's not like Cher, Madonna or Seal. Like why, why, why are we calling him Maza? I think people should know. <laughs> it's what he wants to be. No. He, we have two Alexes on the team. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I'm trying to like. I'm trying to train myself to say Maza, um, but yeah, it's his last name. Uh, Sorry, Maza. I think it was yeah. good context. Keep going. Alex. <laughs> um, and if it's somebody in demand gen, like maybe somebody in sales, you know what I mean? Like, let's make sure like there's, there's some alignment there and that the sales rep feels like, oh yeah, this person's, you know, coming in with the right attitude around like, you know, demos and leads, et cetera. Um, and and yeah, I'm really just looking, I'm looking for their thoughts on how they would be able to affect them in their role. And then also like, how do you think they would fit culturally too? Cause you know, uh, I don't 100% trust my gut 
on like the culture stuff. And I think it's because most of the company is much younger than I am. And so I kind of rely on you and, you know, some other folks too, to kind of help me with like, is this gonna, you know, is this gonna work out? Are they gonna like work with the, like, cause I'm like, I could definitely see working with them, but will this work with, you know, the rest of the team? And that, I actually made one decision, you know, during this last hiring process completely based on you and Sam's feedback on culture, really. And I was, I was like all about this person. And, uh, and yeah, cause I, if you're not going to like, listen to what other people are saying too, then like, why would you have them interview? And so I wanted to make sure that like, okay, I hear you guys too. So one little disclaimer, just so everybody knows, we are not trying to hire for, you know, just 20 something, uh, culture at metadata. <laughs> I think, I don't know our exact age, but I know it definitely skews a little younger, but whether we're intentionally doing this, uh, or unintentionally doing this, I do feel like we have candidates meet with uh, people from a variety of different backgrounds, ages, ethnicities, you name it, so that we are getting everyone's perspective on whether or not they think that that person not would just fit in at metadata, but would they help add to the culture too? So we are trying to uh, right. not hire for the same exact people that we are because what fun or good would that be? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. What's your hiring process well, like? You're not off the hook yet. So I'm going to give you two quick questions. <laughs> what do you think uh, has worked well in your process? And then what do you think hasn't worked well in your process? And then uh, I'll do the same. Yeah, I think I think what's worked well is is trusting the, my gut. You know what I mean? So I think that does serve me well. Um, what hasn't worked well, I think, is because because each interview process for me can be unique. Um, it means I probably don't really have apples to, you know, I don't of, often have just like an apples to apples comparison, you know? And so, um, I may, I've, I'm sure I've, I'm sure I have, I don't even know the word I'm looking for. Let people all, you know, like let people go out of the process that I probably shouldn't have because my pro because my process wasn't super consistent. Missed out on, I probably missed out, I guess, I should, on some people, probably. Yeah, and I feel like that's something that we as a, a marketing team and company probably will have to change as we scale <laughs> this thing pretty significantly because it can't, like there needs to be a little bit more process and rigor, I'd say, in it. We can't just wing hiring and go off of gut feel every single time. It's gotten us to here. I just don't think that it will get us to where we need to be. Yeah, I definitely want, I'm going to change it up next time we go through a round of hiring here soon. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to change up my process this time. Sweet. So I will go at the same questions that I gave you. So where I get started with my hiring process is actually the job description. And it sounds really elementary, you know, because you have to have a job description when you're usually when you are hiring for a position, but this is a hill I'll die on. You can tell a lot about the team that you're walking into, the leadership that you're walking into, and the company that you're walking into just by the job description. And what I mean by that is, is that one of those job descriptions where there's 25 responsibilities that could be owned by six or seven truly different positions? Or is it one role that has, you know, some stretch responsibilities, but all of the responsibilities are something that could typically be owned by a single person? So in order to make sure that that comes through in our job descriptions and not just mine, but I know the ones that I've worked on with you too, 
we write it and we go get feedback from experts in our network that we trust and get yeah. their feedback on it and say, would we attract the right type of person with this job description? Yes or no. And I think we have some honest conversations up front and sure enough, the job descriptions that we've used have been tweaked so that they're attracting the right people uh, because I think that goes a long way. I mean, that could be a good outbound tactic too, right? Hey, can you take a look at this job description for me that you're an expert at and let me know, like, would you be excited about this role? I mean, that's the tactic that I used for the person that we're not going to name uh, yep. because I said, hey, do you want to help me come up with this job description, uh, which that in itself is yeah, a little tough. Yep. So that was something that I typically do. <laughs> I think what I also do is I will go through sales navigator, not sales navigator, the LinkedIn recruiter and start to try to figure out you know, of the the profile of person that I'm looking for, like what exactly does that profile look like? So if we are working with any outside help or recruiters that we can give them a little bit more guidance on, you know, hey, find people whose profiles look and sound like this. Uh, I think that goes a long way. And then what I try to do, just because a lot of the success has been from outbound, is I was blocking off, you know, a certain portion of my week every I'd say every day for an hour or so to just do outbound. And, you know, it's like an SDR, it's a numbers game. You've got to find enough people that are worthy of reaching out to, and you've just got to start <laughs> reaching out. And uh, it takes time, but also I feel guilty of this as I was going through it. Like we complain about not having enough time to do you know, the work that we need to, when in reality, if you find the right people, that's going to free you up anyway. So how can you make excuses that you don't have time to do hiring? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially when, yeah, you're in that motion. Question for you. When you're outbounding, do you have a system you use to track like the progress? Because that's where I get lost in outbounding. I'm like, I just sent a message to 17 yep. people. And now I don't even know like, who I sent it to and what I said. So yeah, what do you do so for there's, that? there's two things that I've used. The first is the statuses within LinkedIn Recruiter. So you can at least see who you've sent something to oh. and who you've replied to. That gets you part of the way there if you're just managing it in LinkedIn. I think midway through last year, we got an applicant tracking system. And uh, you know we've been using it uh, with some success, some frustrations. Uh, but it's very manual. I see Jason shaking his head. I'm trying to be Switzerland here. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think you can read between the lines. Uh, what I've been doing is then kind of truing up. All right, these are all the people that I've reached out to in LinkedIn. Let me look at who's in the applicant tracking system. Is it uh, like perfect? Absolutely not. Is it good enough? I would say maybe. I still don't have a whole lot of confidence in it. But I think at any given time, I'm trying to figure out in my head who are like the batches of people that I'm talking to in similar stages. Uh, it makes me sound crazy as I say this out loud, but again, a lot of this is challenging because we're doing this ourselves on top of uh, all the other things that marketers have to do. So I'd say that's like the first part in just finding these people. And then I'd say the initial conversation or two is very similar to how you interview people uh, in, hey, let's just have a conversation. We don't really have to talk a whole lot of, of true shop about the role yet. And I think you can get a really good feeling for the person on a personal level. And then two, is this a person that even warrants a follow-up conversation where we need to talk shop? So it usually takes me, I would say two, uh, probably 
45 minute conversations, uh, maybe a 30 minute intro call uh, before I even figure out, hey, is this somebody that I'd want you, Jason, to meet with? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I wonder if a platform exists out there, like an outbound applicant outbounding, like an outreach for for hiring. Hmm. Somebody so, help me. Tell me if there's if that exists. I want to say <laughs> I need to look through this, and the next episode that we do, I will make note to start the episode off by what I found. Uh, I feel like <laughs> outreach's initial use case was for uh, something similar to like outbound sales, but it wasn't actually outbound sales. It may have been hiring hmm. or it may have been something else. Oh, interesting. Um, oh. So oh. we'll see. <laughs> I'm like 50, yeah. 60% sure that it was hiring related, uh, but I'm 100% sure that it was not, hmm. you know, outbound <clears throat> sales at first. So I'll give myself yeah. a little homework oh, assignment. I didn't know that. Um, and then the <laughs> second thing that we do uh, is I have them meet with, you know, anyone who they'd be working very closely with, which I think is pretty standard. Um, but I also am fairly prescriptive on any objections or concerns or things that I want them to <laughs> explore a little bit further. And I know that you do the same too, uh, just so that we're not going yeah. with just a completely blank slate uh, for every single interview. And I think that's helpful. I'm not trying to cloud the person's, uh, you know, <laughs> thoughts as they're going yeah. into the interview. But if there's something that I either didn't address or, you know, completely overlooked, uh, I make sure that whoever else is interviewing the candidate knows to, to push on that. Mm. Yeah, right. Um, oh, you mean like areas that you were yep. had questions on about them and you wanted yep. to? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, it reminds me of like, so I was at Microsoft and this hiring process that we had there, I'll just be a quick story. It was so rigid to the point where like, I mean, in a Microsoft interview back then, it was eight hours on site. And it was so interesting. Like I'd start with, and you guys, you'd get together. There was actually the system that they built in house and you'd all assign roles to the interviewers. And literally one of them was like, the mean person, you know, it was like literally like, and I, it wasn't called the Bad mean cop, person, yeah. but I don't remember what the role is. Yeah. Yeah. And, but through each stage of the process, after every interview, somebody could say no. And then literally the rest of them get canceled that day. I mean, it was just such a rigid process and like the questions that you had to ask and then how you typed up the answers. I mean, it was just so, so I don't want it to be like that, but you know what I mean? Like, I think we, we should definitely, we'll, we'll add more process. And I think what was nice about that process is if interviewer one had some objections, they automatically put it in the thing and then interviewer two or three in that same day could touch on those exact things and like dig into it a little bit more. So from that part, it worked well, but the bad part was like when you did have to let somebody go midday, cause then they knew immediately. They're like, oh, damn it. You know what I mean? It was like, but that was like the hardest. Luckily we didn't have yeah. that, so anyway, yeah. We won't be like that, and I don't think anybody really should. I'm, I'm sure Microsoft has probably changed it up a little bit from that, but this was over 10 years ago. Uh, awesome. So I'll get into what worked and hasn't worked uh, for me in my hiring process, and then we can get into two of the questions that we have. The questions are a little open-ended, so they may take a little bit. Uh, what's worked? So I think for me, the biggest <laughs> thing that's worked is outbounding because you have a little bit more control over who you are trying to have an intro call with. Now, again, takes more time, it takes effort, but I think we've seen 
um, better conversations just in general with candidates. And then, you know, of the five roles that we hired for, uh, after me, four out of the five have been all from outbound. So I think the track record kind of proves it. Uh, what hasn't worked? Yeah, I would say, and I'm going to steal a little bit of thunder of uh, what I think one of my answers will be for the Q&A, but uh, trying to keep candidates on a similar schedule. And what I mean by that is, mm. you know, it never works that you've got five candidates that, you know, that you really feel good about and they're all on the same stage. And I think for me, and I've gotten feedback on that and I, I took it personally and I've already tried to make some changes on it. Candidates said, hey, the, the hiring process just felt too long. And I think, you know, hmm. I'll own that. I think I can make excuses, yeah. some of them excuses as to why it happened, but I think there were some learnings of, hey, rather than try and get all these candidates to the same <clears> stage, <throat> like just trust your gut in that moment of, hey, do I actually feel like this is a, somebody that I want to work with or am I just trying to make sure that I end up with someone uh, as opposed to no one? So that's been a right. big learning for me too. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I'd say for me, and we haven't touched on this, so I will. One of the like one of the successes I had was using a recruiter. You know what I mean? And so we didn't talk about that, but um, if you don't have internal recruiting staff, um, find a firm that specializes in your role, not a generalist recruiter. I don't think so. We had a good luck. We had a lot of great candidates that came. We had, we used two recruiters. We had one that was more of a transactional one. And then one that was a more high touch. Um, and we got, we both got a lot of great candidates and I hired one of them um, from uh, Sloan. I'll just give them a <laughs> shout out from Sloan, um, Sloan Recruiting and Max over there. Great folks, especially if you're hiring marketers and I think they, they dabble in sales as well. Um, and so that was, a, that was, I think, a win for us. It helped me get ahead, you know, from where I was at in the hiring process. And then I think what, what didn't work, it's, uh, it's an offshoot of what you said, but it's communications. You know what I mean? It's, it's comms with the candidates. Like I, I had to apologize. I can't tell, I can't tell you how many times I had to start off an email. Like, I'm so sorry. You know, this has taken me a week to get back to you. Like, I can't even tell you how many times and that doesn't feel right. Um, but what's interesting is, you know, if you if I take myself back to when I was candidates and all these, and I would be like, why the fuck is it taking a week? Who is so busy that they can't get back to a good candidate in like a week? And now I'm like, oh, this is actually what happens. This actually does happen where I'm like, this is a great candidate and I just let them go for a whole week. I'm sorry, but it's actually, it is, it does happen. Like we do get so swamped sometimes where it's like, uh, it's an excuse, but it's, it's reality. And so I think that's one thing I want to try and fix next round. Alrighty. I think we got time for one question. It's a meaty question for Q and A and then we got to wrap up. So what's the biggest mistake you've made in the hiring process at metadata? I think it's what I've alluded to, which is the, the lack of consistency in my own process. Um, and if, the head of marketing has a lack of consistency in his process, then it's not, you know, it's, it's basically then up to you, you know what I mean, to have your own process. And if we both have our own, then I don't want a separate candidate experience if you're hiring them or if I am. And so I think that's, you know, that's probably, uh, that's probably mine, I'd say like that. That's probably the biggest one is that I didn't, I didn't think enough about it. And it just kind of shot from the hip. Um, and we'll, did we'll you just do finger guns when you said that? <laughs> I did. Yes. 
All right. Just want to make sure that everyone else. Right. Yeah. I had to pull it out of the holsters. They were in the. They were in the holsters. Oh my so. god. Uh, we'll see how many finger gun references there are on future episodes. I think the uh, the biggest thing for me, and this was really a. I'll say enough without giving away too much. This is a really big learning experience for me in my career and just as a hiring manager because I had never had to deal with this before uh, is what happened earlier this year when we were trying to fill the senior content marketing manager role. And I think um, without getting into details, the candidate that we were talking to, we had to resell at the end. uh, And it was a weird feeling because we knew that we needed the role filled. Uh, We thought the candidate was the right fit. The candidate had some, I'd say cold feet, whatever the <laughs> the right saying is at really like uh, right before we were about to extend the offer and we had to resell the candidate on that. And I think the lesson for me was you should never have to resell the candidate at that point in the process. Like they're either bought in or they're not. And it didn't work out you know, for us and it didn't work out for the candidate, which sucks. Um, it was something that we learned from and, and had to work through, but I uh, I hadn't ever experienced yep. something like that before, and know that I shouldn't do that again. Yeah, and then guess what? Then Jason went and did it again, and it didn't work out. Yep. So I think we both now learned that lesson. Uh, I didn't have to learn it because Mark yeah. told it to me, and then like I decided a, to go ahead child and learn it again. Burning their hands. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, I love that one because um, they yeah, just I think this is a applicable applicable everywhere not just a startup not everything like if you're really having to resell them then i don't know if they're in it for the you know then it's just i i think it's a no you know what i mean i think it should just be like okay then this is not right it's not the right not the right time you know it doesn't have to be like a bad breakup but just like okay totally cool but let me find somebody else Awesome. Well, I think we are just at time. This is a good one of uh, the second episode in our little mini series on building a marketing team from scratch. So make sure that you subscribe, keep downloading uh, these episodes. We see the the downloads keep going up and to the right, which is good. And then make sure to keep hitting us up on LinkedIn with either questions that you want us to ask or any topic ideas that you have in mind. So until next time, thanks everybody. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Demand Gen U. If you want to hear more, make sure to subscribe to get future episodes. You can also submit a specific topic you want us to talk about by DMing us on LinkedIn. If you like the show or want to share feedback, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep improving and get the word out to other marketers just like you. This podcast is brought to you by Metadata, the first demand generation platform that launches paid campaigns that self-optimize to revenue. If you're looking for a tool that makes it easier for you to build audiences, launch paid campaigns, and experiment at scale, you'll love Metadata. B2B marketers at Zoom, Okta, and ThoughtSpot use Metadata to automate the time-consuming parts of running paid campaigns so they can focus on the things that matter.